other things that really tried to humanize these people. Like, no offense, but you don't need to humanize them. They're standing next to Nazis. Like, I'll probably go listen to Dead Kennedys now. Fuck <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah. I like these guys. Is that a snorkel in his pocket, or is he just hopping a saber? And Sounds like Lumpy Space Princess. Yes, actually, it's exactly that voice. <laughs> Jessica, <laughs> is that a snorkel in your pocket, or are you just hopping a saber? Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the new horror thriller film, Green Room, directed by Jeremy Saulnier. Nothing is more powerful than a young boy's wish. Except an Apache helicopter. An Apache helicopter has machine guns and missiles. It is an unbelievably impressive complement of weaponry, an absolute death machine. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hello there again, everybody, and welcome in to episode 62 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along with Newt... <laughs> along with Newt Gingrich? <laughs> and, and, and Newt Gingrich, yes. Oh. Along with Nick Cheney and Tucson Egan. Hello. Hi. And on this episode, we will be discussing uh, the new film Green Room, uh, which is just sort of making its way into some theaters. I don't know if it'll ever get much of a major theatrical release. Probably not. But if you want to see it, it's probably out there somewhere for you to find it, uh, at least in the next couple weeks. Uh, the film was directed by Jeremy Saulnier uh, and is his follow-up to 2013's Blue Ruin. That may have been 2014, now that I think of it. <clears throat> it was around the same time, but yeah. it's, in that, it's in that time period. You know what? We're just going to go with it. It's fine. Let's, yeah. let's do it. 2013-14. One of those years. Green Room doesn't seem like the kind of film that would take a long time to make. And I'm not saying that as an indictment of it. It just seems a very yeah. tight film. Yeah, it probably was filmed in like 20 days or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Right. So anyways, we'll get to that in a little bit. But first, uh, we're going to do a Week in Review, one of our favorite segments here on Film Tank. Yeah. <clears throat> Usually Nick starts us off with these, but I took it upon myself to oh, say oh. I would like to go first today. Well. And, and I'm going to, so. I'm excited. Are you really? I am. I want to know what you've been watching. You, you don't know? I don't know. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, so the I first film. Do you? I know. You've been peeking at my letterbox again, haven't you? I'll never tell. Oh, God. Go on, Alex. So, uh, the first film I want to mention is I finally got out with my wife, Emily, uh, last weekend to see the uh, sort of live-action version of The Jungle Book, which was directed by John Favreau. And uh, this was actually pretty good. I've heard a lot of positive reviews about it, and I would agree with them. I thought it was uh, uh, quite good. Uh, I do not think it was a <clears throat> absolutely fabulous film at all. Uh, I, I think it was good, though. And I think that's really where all of these Disney uh, reboots have landed for me lately. Um, I didn't care for the 
um, Maleficent film. No one I, did. I, <laughs> it was not good. Maleficent is my favorite Disney villain, just to go on record, and I thought that film was shit. It wasn't good. Like, the idea of, of her not being the dragon really just didn't do it for me. Mm-hmm. And the idea of the, like, assistant who ended up doing all the things for her, and then... Even though some people really liked the idea of making females more empowered by that film, I think the idea of completely changing the story doesn't really, like, it just doesn't work for me. Loki, the only reason why that film got made is because Maleficent has the coolest costume of any, like, Disney villain of that era. She does. It's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. I would disagree with that. I just. Who's got the cooler costume? I just said I wouldn't disagree with that, oh, okay. so and I was going to continue Jeez, on with my life. So. I'm sorry. Calm you should. Down. No, I'm sorry. Fucking asshole. It's true, though. It's like I'm withholding barbecue sauce over here or something. <laughs> don't Please don't bring that into Film Tank. Whoa. <laughs> I don't want to talk about film. I don't want to talk about barbecue sauce. We won't sauce. talk about it, but Dirty just, laundry just to give it a little right bit of now. context, Tucson is a fan <laughs> of his barbecue sauce. We, we won't talk about it, but, but just to give you a little bit of context. But we'll rack him over the coals either no, way. Whatever. No, no, I didn't. I did I just said, and that's all I'm going to say, Tucson likes barbecue sauce. I do. I like it when I order it, and I'd like to have it on my burger. <laughs> you see, you did that yourself. I so. know. Uh, if you want to find out more, you can always email us at the yeah, show at yeah. gmail.com. Let me tell you, you will be very disappointed. <laughs> Unless you go somewhere with Tucson and he orders something with barbecue sauce and it doesn't come with barbecue sauce, then in fact you will not be disappointed. We have spent way too much time talking about this. I don't know if that's the case. This is your, your weekend review watching me about barbecue <laughs> yeah. sauce. What? Other movie. Or well, I was going to just have a couple more things oh, to talk about about the Jones. It didn't seem like it. <laughs> well, we were, got talking about Maleficent for some reason, which I really had no interest in talking about. But the Jungle Book uh, is starting to move in a better direction, I think, for Disney and these sort of reboot adaptation type films. Uh, the CGI in this film is absolutely fantastic, even though I did not see it in IMAX 3D which, of course, I've heard is a great medium to see it in. I just saw it in standard theater. I still thought this was a very uh, good visual film, and I thought a lot of the, uh, the the characters, in terms of the animal characters, it's pretty much we're getting close to the point where there will never be a need to ever drag live animals into a... And maybe that's a bad thing because that's gotten some of the most beautiful and memorable shots over time, but it's also gotten uh, like the series of, on horse racing on HBO that got canceled because all of the horses were dying during the filming of it and that kind of thing. Jesus. You don't know about that? No, I didn't. Oh, man, that was that. like legit. That was I actually enjoyed that series for the very short run it had, but... It <laughs> very was, short run. <laughs> But no, like it was a thing. I'm sure Nick knows about it probably even more than I do because it was. We talking about luck? Yeah. Okay, because I zoned out for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no that that show got it, it 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 filmed the entire first season and then it aired the entire first season and then a little ways into filming the second season, uh, it it became too much because they were putting too many horses down uh, <laughs> during these uh, racing scenes, yeah. unfortunately. So, it was... so, and here's the thing, and I got to give them credit, uh, they were not canceled. It was like the production from within said, we can't do this. All right. So that's actually pretty... Yeah, it is. I'm but... not saying HBO wouldn't have canceled them, <laughs> but the fact that they stepped up first is actually a pretty big move. When... HBO needed a few more dead horses in order to feel like this is a problem. Yeah. 
Well, it's tough to get it's tough to get canceled on HBO because yeah. they've invested so much money in uh, those things. It's not that yeah. tough. I mean, as far as like, we'll see about Westworld. I'm surprised Luck got renewed in the first place, just because uh, it's you know I mean it's David Milch and he's a TV god as far as writing and producing, but uh, his language in that show was so esoteric. I mean, like the fr- I watched the pilot and I barely knew what was happening <laughs> in a good way because of how much you have to parse through like all mm. the uh, you know verbiage they actually use so mm. anyway uh but yeah. uh, we're getting to the point now with cgi <laughs> where if you if you put the money in the right place you're going to get and you're getting things that not only you can't do like <laughs> roar the movie where they're like look at all this great <laughs> footage we're gonna get and then years later you've got people who are just getting gored and shit like that by He's real plan what a great movie <laughs> That is one we'll probably talk about oh, someday we will on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> That's a guarantee. But uh, it's just amazing to see characters, uh, tigers and panthers, lions. elephants, lions, bears. snakes, bears. Oh, my. The whole gamut, pretty much. in <laughs> uh, moving extremely realistically and looking very realistic as well. We have a couple great voice performances here. Uh, the best... For sure, was Idris Elba, who is the voice of Shere Khan, who is the uh, tiger, who is the main antagonist in the film. Uh, there was also some good voice work here by uh, Bill Murray, who was okay. Uh, everyone gave him praise for Baloo, who's fine. Ben Kingsley was really good. Also uh, enjoyed Gary Shandling's last performance as he uh, he had a really? small voice role in this Aww. film. So what was he? I don't remember his his character. I can see his name here, but I don't know what <laughs> oh. it was. But it was I remember when I saw it, and I was like, weird. Oh. I know, right? So overall, though, um, the story was okay, similar to the to the to the um, original kind of presentation we got with the the animated version from sixty years ago, fifty years ago, whenever it was. Uh, the kid who plays Mowgli was okay, but uh, he's I, a kid. He's a kid, and I had trouble. No, getting, Sabu. I had trouble getting over his voice because I could not think that he didn't sound like the kid who plays Anakin Skywalker in the Phantom Menace. That's a problem. Yes, that's a problem. Yes, was he the same kid from A Life of Pi? Uh, no, he was not. Okay, that's racist. That also I'm sorry, is in fact racist. It's a kid actor. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it was a. It was a good film. Uh, the Christopher Walken uh, dancing number when he plays King Louis was a little weird. But that's okay. It's Christopher Walken. Mm. Uh, not dancing scene. Sorry. Um, but yeah, Jungle Book was solid, but nothing I would say that was great other than the CGI, which was absolutely phenomenal. And the final scene involving the nighttime fire fight was absolutely fantastic. So if you get a chance to see it still in the theater, uh, I would say give it a go. The other film I really want to talk about quickly uh, is a film I'm going to have to fall on my sword on because I absolutely have shit on this movie time and time again. And I liked it quite a bit more than the first time I saw it, and that is Captain America the Winter Soldier. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I have been like low-key rider dying for this film because I know you two have been shitting on it, but I so fucking love Winter Soldier. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to be changing my thing. <laughs> I don't give a shit. I have to say, because... Myself and my wife, Emily, who have been catching up a little bit on Iron Man and Captain America because they're really the only two people who matter in the Marvel Universe, even though they want to keep feeding us these characters. 
Um, <clears throat> we watched uh, the first Iron Man and the two Captain America films, and myself and Nick and my wife Emily went and saw uh, The Winter Soldier in the theater a couple of years ago when it came out. And I remember being disappointed and thought it wasn't that great, but I actually liked it quite a bit more the second time through. The fighting scenes are absolutely phenomenal, especially the first scene on the uh, on the on the ship with the boat, whatever you want to call it. That was absolutely fantastic. I will admit the image of Captain America showing up on that boat for the first time and doing that like flying kick is one of the only Marvel images to actually stay in my brain, even if I didn't like that movie. Yeah. Um. There are other things about this that are, are really just stand out for me more this time than, than the first time. There are still some things about it that I don't love, like how it completely just destroys and steals the uh, story from Minority Report uh, as its pretty much main through line, whatever, but that's fine. How so? Stopping crime before it starts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So so that was a little eh, but I think the the main reason why I liked it more this time uh, than I did two years ago is I feel like even though we're only two years further into the future, we've gotten a little bit more revealed about Marvel's plans and we've seen a couple more of their movies released. And I feel like there are so many little Easter eggs that were thrown into the Winter Soldier, which seen it the first time through and not thinking about things like Doctor Strange and the eventual continuation of the Captain America series, whether it be uh, with uh, the girl who's there, who's her real name is Sharon, right? Yes. And with Cross Crossbones, who's yes. going to be a villain in the upcoming film. Mm-hmm. Like all of these characters who seem inconsequential at the time, but now that we find out a little more, especially for someone like me who has absolutely no care in the world about the comics, learning more about those characters and then seeing them going back into the film, I have a much better understanding and a much better appreciation for a lot of what was happening in this film than I did two years ago. I would say that um, out of all the things that I did really enjoy about uh, Winter Soldier, I, I think I'm just, just to come out. I'm a fan of the show agent Carter, even though I don't consistently watch it. I think that it's probably one of the best Marvel shows that is out there because it has a female protagonist. She's doing interesting things. It's an interesting time period. And I feel like it actually does something with the time period other than like that's, efficient and seems interesting versus like captain america the first avenger which i have a lot of problems with like how it handles like that specific tackling of that that sort of setting um but when you see peggy carter meet captain america in winter soldier and she just can't remember him because she has alzheimer's like that really fucking hurt and like the um one one part that really like touched me even though it's like not technically a part of the film but like the the outro like motion graphic like um, title splash where it's showing all the credits and you show and it shows um, the compass that Captain America had with her picture in it like that really touched me I thought that was that was great it's a nice storyline that involves him and Agent Carter and it's I think it's funny that Agent Carter has sort of become this this it, it's like Marvel's version of um, the Saw Killer of Jigsaw where they have 
they've went out of their way to find ways to get her into things. Like she has her own tele. <laughs> no, for real, she has her own television series. Yeah, she got pigeonholed into Age of Ultron. She got pigeonholed into Ant Man. Yeah, like they were just finding small places to fit her in somehow. They're like, oh, she was only fifty in Ant Man. We can we can do that. Yeah, and I'm not saying it's like Jigsaw or anything like that. That's what I was confused by. I was just oh like, no, are you, are you implying that Peggy I'm, Carter murders people for sport? That boy, that would be something if they that reveal came out. So, Sign me up. (laughs) But I do think that they kind of didn't necessarily know what they had with her until it was too late to really do anything with it. But yeah, Winter Soldier, I'm a a bigger fan now than I was. And I'm very much excited to see Civil War, which is rapidly approaching here. So um, I'm looking forward to it. And I will pass it on to Nick. All right. Yeah. Well... I watched, uh, let's see, I rewatched one of my favorite movies of all time, which is A Woman Under the Influence, uh, directed by John Cassavetes from the 70s. That is a very interesting title. Yeah. I've never heard that it's before. A very interesting movie. It's, uh, it stars Gina Rowlands and Peter Falk as a married couple. Uh, Gina Rowlands plays a, uh, a housewife who uh, is clearly uh, suffering from mental illness that's and sadly gone undiagnosed by her husband, even as uh, his friends and her, his and her family clearly pointed out to him and to try to get her help. And the movie is just kind of all about her inevitable downfall at the hands of it and then the possible uh, reconciliation after uh, maybe a potential, uh, not cure, but treatment. Uh, but it's really, you know, John Cassavetes is often hailed as the, godfather of independent cinema and he's a he's an actor's director because he he does a lot of improvisational takes and his camera just follows the actors and not the other way around so it's it's just a slice of life but it's a life you don't want to be like <laughs> you don't want to live yourself but it, it just becomes a movie about so many things it's whether, a slice of shit cake yeah and with it, a dollop of ice cream yeah and it's just a it's about so many things, whether it, like even if you just take the mental illness part away, or even living in there, it's still also a great story about marriage and the compromises you make, and uh, how one person changes, and then you, or just that gnawing feeling where you realize that the person you fell in love with might, unfortunately, be like damaged in a way that you lied to yourself in the beginning when you were in that honeymoon period. You know, it's just, so it's a date movie. Yeah, it is, and. Um, uh, well, I mean, it's like I'm making a joke, but the two characters clearly do have a love for each other that's, like, genuine. Mm-hmm. So even if they can say or do hurtful things to each other. So it's a very powerful movie. I recommend it to anybody who's never seen it. Uh, it's fantastic. Um, I also watched a movie on the other end of the spectrum <laughs> when it comes to cinema. I watched a Andy Sedaris movie. And for those who don't know who Andy Sedaris is, uh, or maybe it's Sedaris, I don't know. But he was a a film producer. He was basically like a Roger Corman, but cheap and during the 80s, where he got famous making what he called the triple B movies. And the three Bs stand for bullets, boobs, and broads. Like, uh, no, bullets, boobs, and bombs, I think. Because, oh, okay, because if he had broads yeah, and boobs, then I that forget just, which, that's kind of whatever. redundant. Well, the whole, the, all his movies are redundant. <laughs> um it is basically like and watching a softcore porn if the porn decided that it needed to have a lot of plot <laughs> and it was one of, of the most entertaining experiences i've ever had it's great there's like 20 main characters 
Uh, none of them have a personality. Uh, it's uh, you know the joke in Twenty One Jump Street when they're on the freeway, and I think it's Jonah Hill's character makes a joke about how that's kind of meta about how in action movie there's always like explosions way bigger than they should be. Like you could shoot at this, and for some reason it blows up. Whatever. That's every time somebody gets shot in this movie, like they bodies, blow up. Yeah, it spontaneously combusts. It's ultra violent in a completely unnecessary way. Uh, and it has this one moment that was fantastic because nobody here is acting. It's really awful. Um, and there's a moment when somebody decides to act for one second and it is the most frightening thing because these two girls are, uh, they're secret agents and they're tailing this new hunk and he's a hunk. <laughs> he is because, uh, they didn't realize that because when they find their target who gets off the train, uh, and because all these movies take place in like Malibu because, you know, you have to put them in swimsuits in every scene. Uh, at one point the, the one, <laughs> the one, uh, female looks over at the other one and just like, wow. Oh, he's hot, and you know she's like, "Yeah, I know." And then the one looks over at him, and then looks back at her uh, acquaintance, and then in this exact accent goes, "Is that a snuggle in his pocket, or is he just hopping a saber?" And like wow. this is like it was one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life. Hmm. I have to admit. So that's the thing that happened. And Sounds like Lumpy Space Princess. Yes, actually, it's exactly that voice, <laughs> Jessica. <laughs> is that a snorkel in your pocket, or you're just happy to see me? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that happened. Uh, this was a part of a set that I bought. Of course, <laughs> at of course, half, you bought at, at half price books because it was two bucks and. It was, of course, uh, it was. Yeah, it was the Andy Sedaris uh, twelve film. I think it was called Girls, Guns, and G Strings because, and the cover made it look really awful, and it is really awful. And I can't wait to watch the other eleven. <laughs> and, and what was this specific film called? Oh, this one was called Picasso Trigger. <laughs> I, <laughs> That's so bad. Like I said, it's it's a softcore porn that decides that it needs to have a lot of plot. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> Well, it's weird because they talked about Picasso Trigger or whatever the hell it was, I forget, at this point, in the beginning, but then it just goes way off the rails. Of course it does. Here's the thing, though. This movie, and I assume all the other ones, uh, it's like a 10-year-old's wet dream because let me tell you – no, no, seriously. Because it goes beyond just the idea that it's an action movie with boobs. Like, it's an action movie with gratuitous amounts of nudity but never sex, so to speak. Uh, It's got – ridiculous action it's got kung fu like it likes to favor hand combat which was totally like a 10 year old thing you know whatever Mm -hmm. and then to cop it all off there's like a professor like character he's kind of like a q i guess i don't know um who makes gadgets and for those who are listening at home i just put quote uh air quotes around (laughs) makes gadgets because all he does and i'm not kidding is basically duct tapes bombs to things so in this movie the big climactic thing revolved around taping a bomb to an RC car that, yes, one person had to drive up to one of the uh, antagonists and blow up. So, like, That's some Home Alone shit. Yeah, I was going to say, between like the actual use of uh, like genuine 10-year-old boy toys uh, to all the boobs that they would want and kung fu, like <laughs> it, it, the 10-year-old inside me was very, very happy mm. and wants to be let out. So, um, the only other thing I watched before I pass it off was Straight Outta Compton, and Toussaint talked about it quite a bit uh, during our year-end review. I'm a big fan of any musical biopic or documentary, um, so I was actually quite a big fan of this. Uh, I watched the unrated director's cut, Ah. which 
goes for a good 20 to 25 minutes uh, more than the theatrical. Wow. It clocks in at like two hours and 45 minutes. Damn. Yeah. And um, I got to say that that was a good test of how much I was enjoying it, which is that I only thought it was getting too long around the time it started to wrap up. So I would probably prefer the theatrical, but it really was a great use of its pacing and time. And uh, as someone who has only a very cursory knowledge of NWA and rap history in general, um, I'm not going to speak at all about the fact versus fiction, but as a narrative, it was completely satisfying and great uh, three protagonist arcs. I thought like both uh, all three Ice Cube, Easy E and Dr. Dre as characters had great arcs and all three actors were more than up to the task. And uh, whether it is fact versus fiction, I don't know which one it leans more heavily on, but uh, there was also a pretty, I would say, endearing charm to the way it did use its real life, uh, shall we say, access points into like uh, points of time, like wherever they were. So Mm -hmm. like, um, like normally that would kind of piss me off, but I, I didn't mind seeing, you know, Ice Cube at a computer typing a screenplay and somebody going by going by him and saying, how's Friday coming along? You know, oh like, my God. I love that you know, part. Because it was so subtle, not subtle. Like it's, we know exactly what it is, yeah. but it was so minuscule compared to what the movie was about that it never bothered me. And it this only was, just kind of added to it. This was what was happening in their yeah. lives outside of the music, like yeah. surrounding that. So. Without like cutting to like him, like thinking, although I will admit, I did appreciate the um, the actual. I don't know if it's the actual origin, but the mm-hmm. the maybe origin of by Felicia. No, that's actually. I figured it that's was not the fiction. real. I know by by Felicia. That that's uh, nobody knows what the actual origin of that is, but that's supposed to be the inspiration for like Friday. So, yeah, yeah, so I, I I figured it wasn't necessarily like a real whatever, but no. I, I appreciated that little like joke. It like, was a nod to people who already like yeah, knew about. So I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. Um, so overall, that was actually a pretty cut above the rest when it comes to biopics and whatnot. Also, just so happy it got bankrolled in the first place for a major studio because for uh, a predominantly African-American uh, cast like that, um, I thought that, like, it sounds bad, but, like, that's kind of rare. I dare them to cast white guys as NWA. I <laughs> dare you. Well, I mean, I, I don't think they... No, I they just wouldn't they, make the film. No, I know. It's not that I thought that they were going to like whitewash it, but yeah. I'm surprised that they just allowed the movie to happen and had faith that mm. the the movie transcends race, but also is about race. That is yeah. about their stories and mm-hmm. whatnot. And because of that, became one of the most timeliest movies because I, I didn't see it last year. But when you juxtapose what this movie was about and what they were dealing with and essentially what fueled their music and what's it, going on now. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's, it's like the, it's not that they could never, it's, it's not that they, they would like, they, they'd be just as relevant now because mm-hmm. they truly are of their time. Yeah. But it, it was just so great to see the bridge between the then and the now. And I, and I'm not linking this to any like particular um, album with them, but I think that at least my personal definition of what, any sort of classic thing is is that it has to be something that is of its time but also relevant to all times and I feel like at least the story of NWA if not necessarily this film is sort of like a classic story that really does like live outside of its own time but is inextricable from it as well and before I pass it off to you Tucson I want to ask you a question okay do you know in the movie um the scene in which they do the Detroit concert, is that based on a real story? Did, oh, yeah. they, did they play Fuck yeah. the Police? Okay. Yeah, I did. assumed it was because yeah, it did. seemed mm-hmm. pretty like real. Anyway, yeah. that was one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. 
just when they just start all looking at each other on stage mm-hmm. and uh that was just one of those like 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 you said i think in the year and like it was like a fist pump movie and yeah. moment and yeah that yeah. was great it was one of the best like in film experience like in theater experiences i had like that year because i was watching with my friend adam who introduced me to a lot of hip-hop and we were just clowning at the at the credits and just like freaking out how awesome it was so mm-hmm. yeah so yeah, uh, straight out Compton. I was a big fan. Yeah, awesome, great, good stuff. Yeah, moving on to Mister Toussaint. All right, I watched a lot of films, but I'm only going to talk about a couple. Um, I recently watched uh, for the first time City of God on Netflix because I've heard about it for years and I just never pulled pulled that trigger, so to speak. <laughs> That's kind of timely because it deals with kids with guns and crazy shit like that. <laughs> but uh, that that film uh, rocked my world. I only put it on on a whim when I had other shit that I needed to do and I had to work on some stuff, and I just could not pull myself from that film. Like I had to find a way to work around it just because it was so magnetic. Like the, the, the cinematography is great. The color grading is great. The, the characters. Oh, it's godlike. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so... <laughs> It, it, it's so good. It's such a damn good film, and I and I can't believe it's it's taken me this long to finally watch it. But I'm glad that I've watched it now that I can really appreciate it because I really enjoyed Rocket's story. I I really enjoyed how the city of God, the, the story around the city of God, is told through these like vignettes, and that, that 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 that's one of one of the things that I don't see that often in film. But when it's done well, like I fucking that that's one of my favorite fim- things in film where it's just like the main character is narrating and his narration isn't annoying or intrusive it doesn't get in the way of the story it tells the story and i'm just like okay this is knockout ned and it's like it's not like he didn't know that he was going to have to fight but not that's it's not his his story yet it's not his time yet so it foreshadows that but it also like lets you know this character is important now and will be important later and it's like i thought that was cool it reminds me of one of your other favorite movies uh kiss kiss bang bang yeah in the sense that it's not explicitly meta like that movie mm-hmm. is but like just phrases from like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, like that's how so and so got to the party. Yeah. Is kind of like what this narrative structure is like in City of God, where mm-hmm. he, like he'll like explain this person, and then he'll be like, "But we need to back up to see how they became in this exact place and time." And yeah, yeah. And, it, and it really is the story of not just like Rocket trying to escape from this 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 desolate like like run down like ghetto metropolis of of the city of god from rio de janeiro but it is the story of the city of god and it, and it's a living breathing city with with terrible and and horrifying and wonderful and and edifying experiences like it's i i there but for the grace of god go i if i ever had to like grow up in a in a in a world like that but i was just so enraptured by it, it they're going to have the olympics there later this year shit oh wow <laughs> have uh, they seen I, oh, this yeah. movie oh yeah i remember that yeah that's uh that's an absolute yeah that's that's crazy um <laughs> the the other film that i watched uh which was entire, entirely because of the new radiohead song that came out uh burn the witch i decided to watch uh the wicker man uh, the 1973 version with Christopher Lee as uh, Lord Summer Isle. And what's his name? The name of the main guy who plays the protagonist. Uh, I believe it is <laughs> Edward Woodward as Sergeant Howie. And now I know what actually inspired um, Hot Fuzz. Like this film actually like inspired like much of the the mannerisms of Sim- Simon Pegg's character in Hot Fuzz because Sergeant Howie is just this straight laced like 
perfect Christian like police officer who's trying to investigate this disappearance of this little girl on this on this isolated like like Irish island and basically like comes upon a a, a pagan conspiratorial cult and it was legitimately probably one of the most unnerving and legitimately terrifying films I've seen in a while and I really enjoyed it. I've heard a lot of really great things about The Wicker Man. Uh, I actually remember when I went to go see the remake in the theater. Jesus. Uh, my mother told me that uh, her and my father went to see the original in the theater and that they were they were big fans of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, someday we're going to do an episode on the remake because it is one of the worst piles of steaming garbage anyone's ever made and I, it's glorious. I can imagine. Yeah, like this is one of the best films that I've seen in recent memory and knowing that Nick Cage is, is infamously part of the remake like that, that kind of kills my heart. But one thing that I want to raise about Wicker Man before, like I, I move on and Nick, you wanted me to talk about something. Oh, yeah. I was alluding to Keanu. Oh yeah. You were gonna talk about yeah. Keanu. I'll talk about Keanu afterwards. Like the one thing I want to talk about with Wicker Man is I was so taken aback by how central music is throughout that film. Like it keeps on having like these little, when when Sergeant Howie like first comes onto the island, he goes to this inn and stuff, right? And they have like this little shanty song and stuff, right? And basically, it's a song where where they're all having a fun time and it's all cool. But then their lyrics, if you're actually like listening to them, and like, the way the camera angles are just kind of like really low and, and, and kind of like tilted, like very very menacing, like like everybody in the tavern is singing about how they either want to or have had sex with the tavern master's daughter. And the daughter is just like giggling and the tavern master's like, ho, ho, ho. And I'm just watching it like, what the fuck is going on? And that's, and that's the least terrifying moment in this film. Baldies. Yeah. It's like that. We're definitely doing that film too. Um, I also went to go see Keanu. It was incredible. Um, I thought Key and Peele were really funny. I thought that I was really, really, really excited to see uh, a very particular Wu-Tang member uh, make an appearance in that film. And it was just uh, – I-, I also loved Keanu Reeves' uh, cameo in that film as well. That was a nice touch. I, I-, I don't think I was as high on Keanu, mm-hmm. the movie, not the cat because yeah. the cat was amazing. The cat is incredible. What the uh, fuck are you talking about? Exactly. Luis Guzman was funny too. He was good. He was a good choice. My – I like Keanu in the sunset. I would rewatch it. I thought it was funny. Mm-hmm. I love Keanu Peele. I mean, that was the reason I saw it besides the cat. Um, but uh, I have to say it was definitely one of those worst case scenarios. Not worst case, but one of those prime examples of the follies of people going from sketch writing to right. feature film. I felt the same way. It was the same joke over and over and over. And I will admit, I pretty much laughed at it every time, but I laughed a little less each time. Just and, due to repetition. Yes. And I like I was just so happy that they got a feature film that that was part of what elevated my experience of watching it because I genuinely love those two guys. But uh it was like it's a ninety or a hundred minute movie, and it felt long because it just did the same ten minute scene over and over and over. And the first half hour was killer because it was fresh, and the second act was not bad. And then the third act, I like the very uncertainly got back up a little bit because they were finally wrapping things up, but. Mm-hmm. Like, I couldn't believe how many times they had to do a drug deal. And, like, and how many times they had to play with Ebonics. Yeah, so, um, um, yeah, it, like, and it's a shame because there's actually, I, I saw a lot of people calling it, like, 
that it was missing some kind of edge or satire. But no. I'll say this much: like that was not my problem with the movie. Yeah. It's just that maybe that satire, satirical edge, got a little blunted by the end because of the fact that it was repeated. But mm. I love the idea of Key and Peele playing these uh, two roles where they're both kind of like, shall we say, having to put on a performance. Uh, as their identities as males and as, as African Americans, yeah. and and how that <laughs> affects what they can say, what they can't say, what they genuinely want, you know, like being in in groups and out groups. How yeah. how um Key's character can speak one way in a group, but he can't speak that way to his wife, wife because yeah. like you've never talked like that before. Like my favorite joke is early on. It's very telling that it's early on yep. because it, it's the introduction of like Peel's character when he's on the couch and he's just, like ripping a bong. It's like, she, my girlfriend broke up with me. It's like, she says my life's not going with her. He just like takes a rip off a bong. It's like, what the fuck does that mean? I'm just like, that was are, great. are you going to be okay, man? It's like, I'm going to be right over. And I'm just yep. like, I don't know, man. I feel like uh, Apollo Creed right now. I'm just like, wait, which movie? The one where he dies. Yes. <laughs> I laughed so hard. Yeah, that introduction was great. <laughs> Um, everything with Keanu the cat when P when uh, Jordan Peele's character still has him before mm-hmm. he gets uh, kidnapped or shall we say catnapped. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the initial club scene when they first get to the strip club, which I do love, is uh, Hot Party Vixens, which is HPV <laughs> on the sign. Yeah. Um, like there, there's so many great jokes. <laughs> you know it's funny, it's, right? It's, yeah. just, it's a disappointment once you get 40 minutes in and 50 minutes in and you realize it's going to do the same thing. But I will admit I lost my shit over the and I know it was pretty much already in the trailer, but I don't care. Uh, over the first conversation they have in the strip club over using the N word, and yeah. when he finally turns around, just I'm, but whenever, whenever, yeah. whenever Key goes like full one hundred yeah. on anything, it's just hilarious. So that because that it's so great. untypical of him. Yeah. I also thought that just to cap it off, like harkening back to like their sketch comedy stuff, the way that they. Their makeup and their mannerisms as the two assassins, yeah. like, was perfect. That was, like, classic Key and Peele sketch comedy. That Especially was, yeah. that they were playing off of themselves, like, using movie magic, of course. It was – I thought it was great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that it was. And I recommend it as far as, like, if you see I it on too. Netflix Instant or something like that uh, because it genuinely has great laughs. It just goes on a little too long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Me. Cool. That's my week in review. Nice. All right, so now we're going to move on and talk about the new horror thriller film, which is called Green Room, which stars Anton Yelchin, Imogene Poots, Alia Shawkat, and Patrick Stewart, among other people, including, uh, really quickly, I want to mention Macon Blair, who uh, who shows up here as a pretty main character. He was the the really only main character in the film Blue Ruin, which was released in 2013, not 2014. Uh, and that was uh, another pretty solid film uh, by Jeremy Saunier. Uh, and it was really, I, I don't want to say his introduction, but I would say it was the first film that people, a, a lot of people saw. Um, I don't think many people saw his his earlier film, uh, which is called Murder Party, which I... uh, Murder Party. Yeah, I I don't even know where you can find it. Maybe it's on Netflix, but I I looked to see if I could even find it anywhere to to watch anything about it, and I couldn't. But uh, it's a... Green Room is about a, a a punk rock band who witnesses a murder and is forced into a vicious fight for survival against a group of maniacal skinheads. Another another A plus plot line there, IMDb. Oh, 
Yeah. 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 It's not quite what happens, but that's okay. I mean, it's it's somewhat. It's kind of there. I, I forgot. It's not I as agrarious as... No, they've had worse. It's not like it's misleading, so to speak. No. I mean, do you really have to put malicious skinhead, like <laughs> malicious next to skinhead? I mean, are there any other kinds? Oh, exactly. <laughs> Ask Donald Trump. Oh, Lord, help me. I'm just thinking of the... Uh, the Jeff Daniels recurring thing from Steve Jobs where he's like, you put skinheads in the commercial? They were what we needed. No one will know. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, I'm with the Eight Rights from Washington, D.C. You guys are hard to find. Why no social media presence? Music is shared live. It's time and aggression. You gotta be there. Sorry, guys. Gotta clear up. Follow me. And then it's over. Holy shit. I told you to follow me. Hey, stop! No! 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 You can't keep us here and gotta let us go. We're not keeping you, we're just staying. You're so fucking dead, guys. What do we do? Oh, shit. This will be over soon, gentlemen. What are they doing? They're coming. You gotta go. And we die. How long can we wait? How sure that is? Is that pep talk? You stab some shit, get ready to run. Here we go. I see the bang. So Green Room, uh, I think we all were pretty excited to go see this. I, I know myself and Nick had seen Blue Ruin previously, and uh, I know that uh, Toussaint was very excited for Green Room, as mm. I, I was as well, and I, I know Nick, you were too. And so had Patrick Stewart in it. And Patrick Stewart was in it, which uh, I was... Race, the final frontier. Oh, I thought you were going somewhere completely different with that, but no. that's that's good that you went there. <laughs> so, Green Room, though, was something that uh, we, we've heard about and seen, obviously, that Patrick Stewart was going to be in it, and uh, the list of other people I already mentioned. It's a very interesting storyline about this underground group, and really, I, I think the, the, the biggest draw for me to this film was how kind of mysterious the plot line was looking in, that we kind of knew based on like the IMDb description, and if you had seen the trailer, sort of what was going to happen, but you didn't really have an idea of why or exactly how the events were going to play out. And I think ultimately that's why I fell kind of on the fence with this film, 
is that I didn't never felt like this, uh, the filmmakers and the, the film as a whole really made a good enough decision on what direction it wanted to go to. I felt like this film really got caught in between a lot of moments when I really wanted it to go one direction or another. And it decided just to kind of stay in the middle. I feel like we got a lot of revealing things about character traits about either the protagonist group who is hiding in a room for the most part, a green room, green room. Uh, And we get a lot of traits about the other group of people too. Um, But I just feel like, I wanted just a little bit more out of everybody, and instead we got nothing out of everybody. We got we got left in a place where I just didn't feel that comfortable with being completely entrenched in the story. <laughs> you you got left in a place that you didn't feel entirely comfortable, which was the a green room that's being assaulted by neo Nazis. I just thought that was funny. I'm well, sorry. no, I mean yeah. I, I'm I'm talking more as a as film a film, viewer, yeah, not, yeah. not as an actual person. Okay, yeah, trapped in a room, yeah, which would not be that fun. <laughs> it wouldn't uh, be fun at all. But I, they locked the doors at our screening. Yeah. <laughs> That would be a problem. Yeah, that would that's actually a problem. be kind of fucking awesome. No. I would love that. No, in the post Aurora, Colorado. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that. No. Not cool. Not with a movie like Green Room. Not yeah. with any movie. Not with really. any movie, no. I was going to say. I, I'm making a joke in case. Are you really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would genuinely love yeah. it, but I would not advise it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, in in terms of the performances, I didn't necessarily think that anyone was bad. I just thought there were too many small s- things that got me slightly interested and that were never commented on again. And I do feel like it was on purpose. And it was because this film tried to remain somewhat mysterious throughout, even through the finale of the film. I'm where curious what you mean by mysterious, because I feel like all parties are known in almost immediately and mm-hmm. all motivations as well. Well, sort of like. You, yes. you, you sort of you sort of know what their motivations are because you are sort of able to understand what they're saying because they sort of mumble all the goddamn yeah, time. They, you're right, but, but in terms I'm just of just saying, it's such like it's not like we don't know why they want to kill them mm-hmm. and get rid of them. We, we do. Not like we, yes, right. you're, you're correct. Okay. Yeah. But in terms of the the grand scheme of things, I feel like there just wasn't enough revealed to me about anybody for me to really get that on board with any. So it's of the more of a shallow characterization, not. A lack of mystery. That's what I mean by like I'm getting hung up on the. I'm just curious. Like, w- did you think that the movie was teasing you and that mm-hmm. there was going to be some grander revel- yeah. revelation? Kind of, yeah. Oh. To, to to be honest with okay. you, I'm, I guess f- for me at least, and I'm not getting in my pit, but no, like you can if you want. That's fine. We no, can no, just no. open up a little bit if you want. No. Go ahead. I was going to say from my viewing experience of Blue Ruin and coupled with what I had heard about the movie and from the trailer and from the log lines, I genuinely thought that this was solely existed to be an exercise in tension, and that's what I got, and that's what I liked about it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not saying I thought it was a perfect movie or that I can't understand why somebody wouldn't necessarily gravitate toward these characters, but as the characters just being a, a placeholder for the audience to be suffocated by this uh, growing sense of dread and uh, fatalism, I, I thought it was fantastic in that regard. It definitely, uh, It definitely was, and I can... I, I can definitely see Alex's point, and I can also almost kind of agree with it too, because I don't know how to how to articulate this, but I was I was obviously really looking forward to Patrick Stewart because he was marketed as being like the main antagonist, and he is the main antagonist. He's Darcy. He's the head of this actual like off and away location in this verdant forest where he is the leader of this 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 
radical like neo nazi like community he is the 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 patriarch of this of this community and i felt like as 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 much as he was sort of like this this almost sickly sweet kind of like character and that he was trying to like appeal to these kids and it's like all you got to do is just like come outside and it's like we can be uh, all reasonable about this but he, but he wasn't like a the, you know the wolf in red riding hood or anything like that he was pretty clearly i think he was a lot calmer and a lot more calm yeah. he, he was a lot more calmer and he was a lot more um he was a lot more persuasive at least to me like i thought he was a little more persuasive as a character but i know that he's a fucking neo-nazi so of course you're not going to trust him right and that's what i mean like he wasn't trying to put on a face of who he wasn't no. he was just trying to diffuse the situation I, with I exactly with i feel like the the problem for me is that the film never reached the level that it reached during the probably like 30 minutes in between when they first see that the murder has taken place Mm -hmm. and then when they first try to make a run out of the room like the entire the entirety of that scene when they're actually trapped in the room dealing with the the guy i believe his character's name was justin who was uh the guy who had the gun who was holding them there and then for some reason they decide to give the i know it it makes the plot move forward, but it didn't make any sense to me from a character perspective. To but do that's, what? For him to give them the gun and the bullets, I couldn't figure that one out. Because the leader told them to. I know. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I don't know why he would tell them to him to do that. Like, like it makes sense for for a story-wise for them to have the gun. But it doesn't it, at make... least for me, at least, I guess I, just my interpretation mm-hmm. would be that the leader, I think, at that point, doesn't matter if he has to kill everybody in that room. Yeah. Uh, so he wanted the people to feel safe, uh, even risking possibly getting that guy killed because he'd rather have them think that they have one up on him uh, when they don't. Okay. Uh, that, this that's isn't, just kinda, this isn't the first sense. time that yeah. one of their, their people has either been caught in the crossfire or like there's there's a later plot point with one of the characters that like you you find out why this girl Emily was killed because she was trying to like leave off with another one of the characters and they open up their trunk. Okay. That that was the other part of the film that I that I I, I guess I'll mention now since we were, we're kind of talking about it. Yeah. And I, I will really quick before I get to that say that that sort of twenty to thirty minute moment in time mm-hmm. where they are trapped in the room, we have that amazing scene where they try to give the gun back and Anton Yelchin's fucking arm is pretty much falling off yeah. and it looks like it's falling off. It's a very and, gory movie. Yeah, probably it, the goriest I've seen. Me personally, because I don't watch that much gore. Oh but my god! It's like saw and stuff. When he put his arm through the door and like the red, the, the the red laces got to him, I was like, "Oh my god, that was so fucking terrifying." The red lace are coming. Oh god! <laughs> thank you, thank you for doing that because Jeez. I really hoped that Any you time. were going to, and, and there you did it. Okay, so that was the thing that I I struggled a little, a little bit on. So the word the the key word is meat grinder right meat grinder and that is the word that is the set off word for the killer to kill the girl yes in there mm. however meat grinder is a song it's not a, a keyword it's just when they got to that song that would be the signal right. for them yeah. but it's the song that a band plays that that, that that is the band that is not the punk rock group that Anton Yelchin and Elias Shawkat are in. Yeah, right. There's a, there's they usually have lineups of more than one band. Yeah, understood. But that is the key. That is the that is the the moment that the guy is going to kill the girl. Mm-hmm. But that's not wait. That's the was, moment he's going to kill the girl. Right. Right. Yeah. Is is that not meat it? grinder was supposed to be the the, the signals? Yes, like, that it's time to kill this girl. So it's supposed to be two signals. 
Wait, wait, wait a minute. There, see, see, that's what I'm saying. There's a like, there's uh, a, it doesn't really make I, sense. I, cause, and the reason why I'm confused, just yeah. to lay this out on the table, okay, is yeah. that I didn't even know about the signal you were bringing up. I only at least heard uh, about this, the fact that when that song plays, that that was going to be the moment that they were going to elope. But well, af- well, after, I, I guess what I was... Okay. When the, no, no, when just, the eight rights are in the green room, okay, and there's that one neo-Nazi that goes up to Anton Yelch's character, and he's like, hey, man... What was that one song that you played? The one before, like what, whatever, like the the fuck off Nazi pucks thing. I was just like, like toxic wasteland or something. It's like, yeah, that's that was really hardcore. That was the one I did her into. Yeah, and the, and that was great, and that was a great. Scene. I think that was the one, the, that was the one but I that, did her to. And that's what I thought that they met. And yeah. if they would have just left it there, it would have been fine. Yeah. But then they say that it was the song Meat Grinder, which was on the note that the guy wrote. So I was Hon- just honestly, I think that the the whole subplot, the whole subplot with Emily okay, wait, 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 is wait, wait, is is subpar. No, 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 I don't no, think no, it's no. good. I'll say this much: here's where I think maybe I could be wrong, but mm-hmm. the okay, the Anton Yelchin is in a band. Uh, mm-hmm. I forget what they're called now, but whatever. yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, Ain't rights. Yes, sure. <laughs> and they're they're playing on the stage or whatever. They get off the stage. The next band goes on the stage, and while that band is on stage, that's when they're going to they're going to leave. That's when they're going to go leave during the song grinder. Okay, and so they whatever, and the guy who asked him what was the name of that song, whatever mm. that I don't think that question okay. and that song has anything to do with meat grinder. Okay, it, it's kind of a weird as far as because they already have a future plot point to deal yeah. with. Is, but okay. I generally thought that was just him being no, a creep. I, 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 I guess that makes I, a lot more sense right. now, but it was just very confusing to me at the time Which because I, there's that's, a lot of. Yeah, going back and forth about which song and, and during the set list, and they wrote it down, and him asking then what the yeah. song was called, and, and that yeah. was kind of confusing. Those but are yeah. just two incidental things. Yeah, um, I guess it was just how I took it. It just was yeah. a little sloppy for me, and at the same time, again, as I was saying, mysterious, which maybe isn't the the right word, but I just feel like there was moments when I thought this was going to turn into an absolutely fabulous film and it just didn't for me. It felt a lot like when we went and saw Midnight Special where I was like fully ready to be committed to this film being great and it just decided not to go there. Like the the scenes where they're like somewhat fighting and the dogs come after them, I just felt they like for me they were so unsatisfying for what I was built up to because I was not expecting like a war scene or anything in that sort of realm. Mm-hmm. But it just seemed like once they like built up a little bit, that's when it ended, and then they stopped for a while. Then they came back and started it again, and, and just never for me like got going to something that I would really enjoy. It's funny that you mention uh, Midnight Special because when we got out of the theater, like I thought that that film in particular echoed like Tomorrowland, or at least the conceit of Tomorrowland as being sort of a spiritual successor to that. Whereas I saw. You remember when we got out of the theater and I was sort of flabbergasted by this by, by this film and I thought that if anything, like this film felt like a a spiritual like evocation of uh, Assault on Precinct Thirteen, which it's it, it's a it's a siege film, so so obviously it's going to harken back to pretty much like the archetype, the modern archetype of what a siege film is, and I thought it did a very good job of that. I think that the reason why um, it it, it particularly touched home for me is because I'm black and I could never see like any one of these characters being a, a minority in any way because like you wouldn't need, even need to wait like for to, to have witnessed a murder if you had walked into that that situation you'd be dead you'd be dead then 30 minutes it's over done 
Um, before you guys get into more into your thoughts, because you've just kind of answered some of my bullshit questions so far. No, they're great questions. Well, it is. <laughs> Dick, you're sticking your head. No, I'm sad. I didn't think oh, it was bullshit. Good... <laughs> <laughs> you're the dick, Alex. Oh. Thank you. Uh, before I, I let you guys go on, um, A, Tucson, since you've thought more about this film probably than me and Nick have at this point and, and looked, kind of read more about it. Um, do you know, A, what was the first song that the band that uh, Anton Yelchin's band is in, that they play, and what is the significance of that, of why it was so controversial when they were playing it? It's literally called Nazi Punk's Fuck Off. Okay. That's that's. So what's the significance of that? Um, well, you're, you're playing to an entire fucking room of, of neo-Nazis, and that's yeah. probably one of the most um, – it, it wasn't like these – when, when you when you actually They're go Nazi, they should understand hatred. When you oh god, when you go, <laughs> when you go back and 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 watch the Ain't Rights like go for their like radio interview, their their presupposed radio interview with that one DJ, and they're basically talking about like how music is really just for effect, and they're just trying to like they're they're just trying to like live in the moment and not have a lot of like off- offline like online presence because they want. Like music to be this ephemeral, the raw, Radiohead emotional experience. Don't do that. Don't <laughs> don't don't do that. Anyway, um, like they're not they're they're not political. They're just sort of like taking the piss out of this situation and seeing the hatred for what it is. And but that's it's it's so weird because that scene they have balls to play that song. Yeah. The, the the follow up to that scene actually was my favorite moment of the entire movie, and maybe it's just because of my former life when I was in high school and middle school, not a Nazi, oh God. but where I listened to a lot of rock music and yeah. some punk rock music and whatever. I'm winking at Alex right now. Ah, uh, yeah, when I wasn't a Nazi. Oh, God. <laughs> German last name. So, <laughs> so anyways, I just feel like one of the most genuine moments of this movie, and maybe I just read it wrong, is after they play the first song and they play their second song, and we see this entire crowd just sort of get into the moment and enjoy what they're doing. And they're enjoying playing the song. And everybody is kind of moshing and pushing each other around. And, and you think they're not so bad. Well, they're just I, people. I was going to say they're not so bad. But it, 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 it is, it is one Nazi of the... sympathizer. <laughs> it is one of the most, I, I would say, not necessarily terrifying, but like yeah. awe-inspiring moments of this film for me. Because... We see all these people enjoying in a very soul oneness sort mm-hmm. of moment yeah. where everyone's just going with it and enjoying the, the moment. But honestly, most of the people in this room are horrible people, and, and they're, but they're just here to enjoy themselves for, for this moment and, and this moment in time. Everyone's on the same the room page. in the movie, right? Yeah. Not this room? Not, th- not this room. This room's not green. But, uh, God. But yeah, that was. That in the, in the song choice in that moment, and, and just kind of the way that the uh, the cinematographer captured that, and the awesome lighting in in the room for that, the very unusual matinee rock show performance. Uh, I was just a big fan. So. Yeah, I I was a big fan of that. What you were describing. I'll also say right now, even though I clearly liked the movie quite a bit more than you did, uh, my peak of enjoyment was certainly toward the beginning. Uh, in fact, the scene I enjoyed the most and. Is probably one of those just me things, but um, is or at least the the scene in which I thought was the best marriage of tension, script writing, you know, just everything was the scene in which he goes and finds the cell phone and the dead body. Uh, but not just that, but the moment he leaves that room, like once 
before it becomes violent, and not that I didn't enjoy the violent, the siege part, mm-hmm. but I loved that scene in the hallway when the guy from Blue Ruin, uh, Macon Blair, Macon Blair's character, is like, like trying to take hold of that situation, and it's just there's something so weirdly terrifying about that scene for me because it was so level-headed. I mean, not that Anton Yelchin wasn't reacting like a normal human being; he, he clearly was because he even tries to run like literally at that moment. But just when they're having those conversations about like, all right, just keep him back in the room; it's gonna be okay. We're gonna call the cop, you know, and like it, just the way it escalated from there, I thought was great. well. That was, and I, I guess I shouldn't be giving them too much credit, but it's funny we talked about Midnight Special because that was one of of the moments where I was just like, oh my god, these guys are so smart. Like when the cops show up and you have the two skinheads out there stabbing each other. True believers. Well, hey man, you They're know true what? Believers. In a in a situation like that, they came through aces. Yeah. And I think the crazy thing about that is that Macon Blair's character, which I think is one of my like my favorite lines definitely of this entire film, where he talks himself out of giving him the six hundred dollars <laughs> and takes it back when he said, yeah. This isn't even a felony. Give me the money yeah. as the cops are coming <laughs> up. Good. I'm like, wow, that's kind of a dick move. Fucking asshole. They've done this before many, many yeah, times. But it just is it was on... supposed to like these these bats were supposed to disappear from the Easter party last year. Jesus. But it saved their lives. As the film rolled on, I guess I just I was less and less on board with what this movie was doing. I'll say two things against this movie. Mm-hmm. As far as the, this is the two things total, and they're kind of bigger-ish things. <laughs> but the two things that made me really like this movie but stopped me from loving it, which is uh, I'm actually in the opposite camp of you, Alex, which is I was becoming less and less on board uh, with the movie as a whole the more these characters revealed about themselves. I, I really didn't need to know anything about them. Like I, I other than the initial setup of like the, the original like ten minute prologue before they get to the club, everything that came after that was never going to enhance the tension for me because this was a pretty lived in situation as far as how it was directed and how it was paced and acted and all that. So the more that there were time dedicated to like the reoccurring desert island running motif and uh, a few other things that really tried to humanize these people. Like, no offense, but you don't need to humanize them. They're standing next to Nazis. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it works already. And the fact that, like, A, the movie couldn't have been a little trimmed uh, around that fat, or we couldn't have just used that time for maybe more tense things, like, that was kind of a downfall. But the other thing, and what actually probably really hurt the movie as far as what kept me from loving it, is, and I, I never want to criticize a movie for not being what I wanted it to be, but I'm going to do that for a moment. I've done it before. Yeah, we've and everybody does it. I mean, that's just usually... I just try not to phrase it like this, yeah. but, but here I can. That's all right. So I, I have to say, for me, th- this movie should have did one of two things that it decided not to do, which is that it either... And I know you guys are going to be like, oh, Nick, it either never should have left the green room. <laughs> and I'm saying, or... Oh, Nick. No, no, but or... Once they left, they should never have gone back because it became this weird spiral of tension where they'd leave the green room, they'd get 10 inches, and then they'd go back to the dream room. Then they'd leave the green room, they'd go 10 more inches, and then they'd go back to the green room. For one second, then, I thought you said the <clears throat> dream room. No. But, like, <laughs> I, I was not on board with this, like, going out. Like, they either should have, like, it's not they, but, like, the script should have either 
built the tension in that room and in that room only, and I really think they could have did that. Or they they should have had a more, I would say, logical through line of them going from A to B, B being like the exit, because just every time they were allowed to just go back, like the tension was just starting to just dissipate for me because I kept thinking in the back of my mind, well, every time they'd walk out, I'm like, well, they could always just go back to the green room. I, I will say this, um, and, and this is something that I thought about a little bit after the, the viewing, and it is something that almost pushed me to increase my rating, and I, I might even still push it up a half a star before we get to our final ratings here, thinking about it. I, I'm probably not, but anyways, um, I do think the restraint shown by the, the Nazi camp when you get to the final finale is quite satisfying in terms of how you see how they staged um, this for the police or FBI or whoever to find them and just pretty much going with that if we shoot them, then people will think that people shot them and we don't want people to think that we shot them. So They've done this many, many times before. Yeah. Yeah. I would probably agree with that. Um, and But I don't know if it's like a... <laughs> Like a like a routine thing. Like God damn it, we we just keep using that same room, but it um, that, that, yeah, there's just some sort of rabbit holes in here that I was not willing to follow down. Tucson, I know you were a huge fan of this, so why don't you uh, take the reins a little bit from myself, who has not been too kind to this, and Nick, who's uh, brought up some faults in it so far. Okay, sounds good. Um, and just to clarify, I did some little like impromptu research. The name of the song is not "Fuck Off, Nazi Punks." It's "Nazi Punks Fuck Off" by the Dead it's Kennedy. A huge difference. It is. A, it is a huge difference, and I, you know, I, I, I will admit that I am not. I, I am not fluent in punk rock culture. I'm, I'm absolutely not at all. But if somebody, You are fluent in Nazism. Uh, no, I am not. I, I know about fanaticism. But if I were to be listening into a podcast with somebody talking about like a hip-hop film such as Straight Out of Compton and they didn't pay respect to at least like yeah. some of the songs or some of the characters and stuff like that, I would feel offended. And so it, is, when, when I was in high school too, like the dead Kennedys are one of the like ultimate yes. historical punk rock bands that everybody had that same shirt that mm-hmm. Elia Shawkat is wearing. Like yeah. if, if people were into punk, they had shirts like that or shirts of groups like the misfits or, mm-hmm. or somebody like that. So no, but, and, and that was one of the first things I noticed about this film when I saw the the trailer and I saw the pictures is yeah. that that shirt she's wearing, which is the, uh, the shirt with the very uh, easy to spot dead Kennedy symbol. Mm-hmm. And uh, you were like, okay. Yeah, well. no, I, I was on board yeah. and I, I like Alia Shawkat. I think she's a really good actress. She is. Yeah. And, I mean, and apart I th- from uh, Arrested Development, I haven't seen a lot of her, but she's like a really great actress. I like yeah. her. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just, Going back into the historical context of that that song, like just talking about it again, because I, I did just like look this up. Um, the reason why that song was actually released and even recorded was because they had a previous song called California Ubus Alice, which is kind of like a riff off of like this the 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 first stanza out of like a Nazi anthem, but they were using that satirically in order to take the piss out of. Um, the California governor at the time, who was doing this whole fascist bullshit at the time, and apparently like neo Nazis like like read that title and saw the cover art for that the actual thing which had like smiley faces instead of swastikas and started trying to claim the dead Kennedys as one okay. of their own which is why they were so blatant to say like fuck off Nazi punks and like they even included a uh, an armband with a crossed out swastika and that almost that became a symbol of anti-racism in punk rock so i thought that was pretty badass i'll probably go listen to dead kennedy's now fuck, <laughs> yeah fuck yeah i like these guys um 
But yeah, this this film was just so intense. I love the the cinematography where like it opens up with their rundown ass like tour like truck. They're 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 tour crashed into the cornfield. Crashed into the cornfields, and you see the overhead of it, and it's just like oh, it's so verdant, it's so green, it's so awesome. It's like, and that's another thing I like about this. Like it, the, the color grading, I thought was consistent and it was cool, and it was just like really like eye catching. I feel like it, it's something to. When 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 they're they're on their way to going to the actual venue, like the actual Nazi venue, and you see all these verdant trees like surrounding everything, and it's like larger than than this little squat little little hovel in in the middle of nowhere. I thought this is a very very beautiful place, and this is the very last place that I want to be in because of the company that I have to keep. Um, Offer three hundred and fifty dollars, by the way. Yeah, that's. Uh, that, that's nuts. Speaking of color grading, Alex was, because I genuinely don't remember, was Blue Ruin as washed in blue as this was washed in green? I don't remember it being quite this stark. I, um, I think there were a lot of parts there were, because if I recall correctly, a lot of parts of Blue Ruin took place in, like, twilight hours. That's true. Okay. So, I mean, I think this was, like, probably a slight step above what blue as far as like color grading and whatnot probably now that he kind of knows he might be doing a uh, trilogy so to yeah speak. i, I he do know, knows that he's doing a trilogy now yeah. i do know oh. that blue ruin is much more of a uh, if, if you haven't seen it i actually prefer that film to to green room um and it's a very much uh, a less dialogue heavy film and it's more based on uh, the the actual actions of the characters and there's really nobody there who you're going to recognize other than the guy who plays Buzz in Home Alone. I remember we were up. watching that and you're like and you had to point that out and I still didn't really believe it. I'm like what? What? Yeah. <laughs> Especially the role he plays. Like, I know. It's, it's so but, bizarre. But uh, there's uh, there's a a lot of really standout moments in that film even though it isn't the best movie either. But um, yeah, it's. There, there's some interesting direction here, and I think that uh, you know down the road, if, if uh, he keeps working at his craft, he can make some really strong films. Yeah, but he's, bu- he's building up to it. But I thought that one of the the most intriguing things about this film is like kind of like riffing off of our our weekend review with Nick talking about uh, Straight Out of Compton and how like you you sort of appreciated the 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 deference to the source material and the culture of like that film and how I was able to capture that. Like I'll admit, I, I, I can't say like one way or another, how true to life that, that this sort of like depiction of this culture is, but I could readily believe that because like, I didn't need somebody to stare at the camera and tell me what the red laces were. And I'm just like, I know when you say something's red, that it often means it's bad, and if and if and I know that 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 Nazis like neo Nazis typically like wear like these these kind of like jack boots or whatever. It's like it's part of their 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 whole culture. It's like if you have like what distinguishes black laces and white laces from red laces? Like why? It's because these people are literally a kill squad. They're wet workers that work for Darcy, and they are there to clean up stuff. It's that, just so. That's kind of what I love about uh, Darcy and his group, so to speak, is that. The fact that they're neo Nazis, like the terror doesn't start there. Doesn't <laughs> like that. That's like just almost like their hobby, <laughs> and so like when you meet them, you know mm-hmm. that's how you're introduced. So you're already somewhat terrified. But then once you actually get to know them, mm-hmm. that's when shit. I mean, not because Nazis are 
like good people to begin with or anything like that. Yeah. But like when you start to see the things like the red laces or how they file in and out of the, the trailer or yeah. whatever, like once you start to actually see the culture of whatever is happening with this particular faction, that's when I, I was really like getting a, into a, it. A surgically precise, practiced like routine. What do you guys think? And it's a it's a quite a different crew uh, in this film than the film I'm going to bring up. But what do you think about the the group uh, in in this film that's led by Patrick Stewart and the group that's led by Don Johnson and Django? I was going to say I'm going to go in a slightly different direction. No, nobody brought an extra lace. <laughs> the group that's led by Stacy Keach in American History X. Uh, which they're in quite a, a, a different mode. Uh, yeah. but, uh, oh, God, that's been a, a minute and a half since I've seen that film, but I can totally see what you're talking about. Well, yeah. it, it, they're trying to do, it seems like, much louder versions. Yeah, they're of, more of making, activists. Yes. Yeah. Like, Wait, but but it, it, what what do you think about sort of the the comparisons of them? Because I, I just remember the female character, and I, always, I think her name is like Faruza Balk or something like that. Yeah. Who plays Edward Norton's girlfriend when she's like trying to explain to him why he has to come back because he can't leave, and that they're so much more organized now, and there were like it's, it gives, it's just a it really gives them weird order and purpose and yeah. a sense of belonging. Like when when Darcy is in the in the actual like 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 stage hall and he's like talking to everybody, he's like he's he's sort of like corralling the entire group because they all know him, they all trust him, and he's like okay, but, he, but he's he's. He's much like Stacy Keach's, where he's almost a cult leader. He is, like yeah. in 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 every way of the word. Like the the moment when he hands Macon Blair the red laces and yeah. saying, "Like he's like you've earned these. He's you've earned, earned these, these long before like this." Handing somebody a ninety nine cent thing of red laces, like it almost looked like a father just like gave a child like the ultimate way to go, way yeah. to hit that home run. Now go and clean up that shit out there. Exactly. It's it's um like. I, I, I made the joke after we, we went to go see it, like when we were, we were saying goodbye, I was like, remember, we're meeting for Film Tank, it's like, it's not a, it, it's not a, a party, it's a movement. It's like when they talk about, like, yeah, we're going to have, like, the racial ad- advocacy thing, like, going on, like, next week, and I was just like, it's not that, it's not that these guys aren't advocates, I hate to even use the word advocate for what they're advocating, like, it seems such a, such a, a corrosive, like, corruption. I hated you. Uh, I got a lot of hate for Nazi punks. Fuck off! It's called uh, discrimination, too. Uh, I'm, I'm not. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna get into that. But that's nope. I'm not gonna do it. Um. Oh God. This anyway, is fun. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Um. The, it's not that they're not advocates, such as in in American History X, is that we never got to see that side of them. It's like it's two different sides of the very same coin. Yeah. Yeah. Like I. I, I could totally see the. The, the neo-Nazis in American History X doing something similar, if not maybe even worse. It's kind of than... like what I was speaking about earlier, which is that like the fact that the characters in this movie, or I should say the villains in this movie, are neo- neo-Nazis are almost incidental to what's going on. At a certain point, they're scary because of how they interact with each other, mm. not how they're interacting with the group that they hate and yeah. oppress and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, which we never really see anything about that, which is, yeah. I think, very interesting because we never see them. Well, it's a very small-scale film. It's only about that, this event. This is true. Yeah. But we never really see them practicing what they're preaching at all. Like, there's no... They they made a couple comments. I'm trying to... Yeah. Now I forget what it is. But, like, that's about as much as you would... Like, as much as... Uh, I, I guess I'm, I'm trying to say, like, it's not like something I'm saying is yeah, bad yeah. about the film or anything, yeah. but we never really see them out in public 
like trying right. to rape people in a grocery store. Well, oh, and that's God. the thing is that as much as they like, I'm not going to defend neo Nazis, but I'm pretty sure if you have two neo Nazis in a room, chances are they'll probably talk about the weather and football be- more than they will about the reason why they're connected in the first because place. Because they, like, they unless already... they're at a movement party, you exactly. know, rally, yeah. like that, I they have an identity outside of that. Unfortunate that they have to choose the other side as well, mm-hmm. but like it, it it's just kind of like there there was no real situation where it would have organically come up because there are no minorities in this movie. Yeah, uh, there, and I think that's actually a pretty stark decision. Yeah, uh, because it would have been much different. It might have been a little less. I it it, it would vary into exploitation if mm-hmm. there was. I think so. I actually kind of understand why. Yeah, it, there wasn't in this movie. It would have been much more terrifying and a much a much steeper like arc. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, but, yeah. So that's why I felt like that was actually pretty organic for me. And the, if anything, it it worked to make it even scarier because they weren't just a caricatures of them going around and saying the n word for no reason. Or, no. Or, or, or but Patrick Seward did sort of like do that, but it wasn't for not for for no reason. He was right. actually talking about an aspect of their their business which was like selling illicit drugs and dope yes. and that's how they made their money and it's like there, there's so many things that they didn't need to explicate that you already sort of inferentially know about like certain sorts of like extremist hate groups that, that how they operate like how do they make money how do they organize themselves like it, it, it pretty much pays lip service to those sorts of things um it's the, the the one one point point with that really like freaked me the fuck out that wasn't even like a story point but it was just like an a an incidental um like set a uh, a uh, 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 set decoration when they're in in the actual green room and you see like all these different like bumper stickers and other things like on the on the actual like uh like cabinet where like the sound system is or whatever and one of them said um Anti-racist is anti-white. And I'm just like, oh, God. So true. I don't want to be here. <laughs> so, That's probably a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. 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 But I, I, I don't really have, have much more to say about it. Okay. I mean, It's I, a very simple it, it, It's a very, yeah. very, so speak. very tight film. Uh, let's get to two things real quick before we get to final ratings. Yeah. And they both concern the finale. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you guys think about the climactic scene that involves Patrick Stewart and Anton Yelchin and Imogene Poots? And at, during the climactic scene, as this is 1A to that first part that I was going to bring up, how did you feel about the actual ending with them getting shot? And it, it seemed like the most obvious ending to this film, for me at least. But how did you feel about that? And how did you feel about Megan Blair's character actually fulfilling what he said he was going to do and going and telling the pl- people that they need the police to come to that gathering where all this happened? I mean, did he really go? I mean, he just walked off. So No, I think he did because he walked up to the civilization and yeah. just said, we need a police. And yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Murder. You know, like, yeah. I, I mean, sure, they don't show him like being shackled or whatever. Yeah, but, but that was no, no, but quite that, a departure from what it seemed like he had been almost like conditioned to do. So. Well, and that was, I, I'll admit, I, I, he was my favorite character in this entire movie. Me too. Um, and part of that is because I was, and normally I don't really like, guess plot twist not that that's a plot twist so to speak but I, I re- I'm really bad at doing that so it says a lot that he was my favorite character as I was watching this movie um, and I was already even from early on starting to see him as like the quote unquote 
fish out of water, so to speak, because he was somewhat different compared to the rest, even though he was just as competent and, you know, tough or whatever. And so, like, I was already waiting for an ending like that. Um, Like, I I thought maybe it was going to end a little different, like, where where he was basically just going to give up in front of them and let them, like, shoot him or something like that. But that ending in no way surprised me, and I'm glad it happened because I was waiting. Like, the minute he said, I'll go tell the police, I'm like, that would be a stupid ending if they copped out and just had him run away like a whiny little bitch. (laughs) Uh, so I, I was all on board for that because that was actually the final nail as far as like the only characterization in this movie that I cared about and I thought was actually precisely done the way it should have been was him and that was the final nail in that coffin so I, I was very on board with that the other part of the ending with the shootout and whatever it was okay like it, it didn't deter me from liking the movie but it also didn't like get me pumped or anything yeah it, it just kind of there. And we, we get the the dog coming up to the guy who's training the dogs which i, I thought was okay but that was really weird i did like, like yeah. the dog coming back yeah uh to anton yelchin whatever and i like you know like they get the gun out whatever and i like the idea that the dog outside of that environment is a more peaceful dog like you know yeah. hate outside is like of a, yeah hate is conditioned it's right. not it's not so, a uh intrinsic it's not a, it's not an intrinsic condition. It's a a a, a conditioned condition. Yeah, sort of. So yeah. I I did like that moment, but the Patrick Stewart and the whatever like it wasn't bad, but yeah. um, no, it wasn't like the the best finale. I think they could have came up with. I mean, honestly, when it comes to fin- the finale, I was surprised that it, it turned out the way that they did, and that they were they were competent and capable enough to even bring themselves to the point where they're able to actually like take out Darcy and like stumble upon the scene of what they were well, trying I mean, to construct. There's not really. There wasn't really much he could do about it no, at that point. No, but I like, mean, see, here's the thing: I didn't think that they were going to make it out alive. I honestly did not think that. I, I, I honestly felt that they were going to die. I, I, I didn't, I didn't know how that was actually going to pan out, but I, I was, I was surprised that they even survived. See, that's why I I'll feel, say, I, I feel yeah. like the the ending of this film is is much more mainstream yeah. than the rest of this film. Yeah. I'll say that because I'll admit this. The minute they exited the building, I knew they'd be okay. Mm-hmm. And it, like it, like just because I thought that as long as they were inside the building, they 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 were on, shall we say, the the neo Nazis playing ground. But the minute they got off, the neo Nazis were clearly, shall we say, influenced by the environment that they're in and who could be watching or whatever. So once they took it onto another playing field, then it was much more even. When I, so the tension just kind of yeah. went away completely. So that's why I probably didn't love the ending. And I yeah. wish it was more of a like siege type thing where they, you know, Butch Cassidy was on it, like have to either just run out the door, gun the blaze and cut to credits or like they, um, you know, have, boy, that's a great ending. <laughs> or they have the, um, or they have the actual final fight, like in the building. And finally they, they like Patrick Darcy or whatever gets, uh, fed up and goes into the building. Like, that was actually my biggest downfall of the ending was I, I didn't like the fact that the finale was so far removed from the green room. And I don't mean that as the literal room, <laughs> but as the, you know, just the environment that we, this tension was built in. Turn, turns out that that green room was central to most of the action. Like if it was, it was central to most of the action, not only just because that's where they stumble upon like Emily's body and that they're actually trapped in there and they have to like wall themselves off from the neo-Nazis, but also because conveniently, just conveniently, underneath this green room is all that dope that they're trying to traffic. Which becomes somewhat inconsequential to the story. Like It seemed like that was going to be a like a plot point as it went forward, and that really just kind of got well, sidelined. Well, it ended up being that they weren't trying to cover up the murder. They were trying to cover up because they thought that 
they had caught on to the at least that's what I think I'm not mm. saying I actually like think that's good they saw I, some I, shit I, that they shouldn't have seen that's it right I'm just saying I believe a character tries to explicate the idea that oh they they didn't care that we saw the person was dead because it's true Darcy didn't do that so they probably could have just fed their own person to the woman but that they they thought that they somehow would have been able to stumble upon yeah. the the drugs hmm. the okay. drug lab thing. yeah I, I mean, that that that's what I believe the film is trying to suggest the ulterior motive behind this siege like environment I will, okay. I will say that I thought that. Nick, Alex, I, I think you guys would be better at describing what this is. Uh, I'm not sure if it, it qualifies as a motif or is it sort of like a a foreshadowing element where like the the main character's story about paintball. Like, what would you call that? It's a uh, I, I call I, it I, stupid. I, I was going to say know, that's exactly. That, but what's the, would, the name of that? I would sort call of... that one of the worst foreshadowing moments. No, no, not I'm, foreshadowing. I'm, yes, I would it? believe so because as what's soon as he starts the... telling that story, I'm like, when is this going to come back? And it came back exactly. It's not foreshadowing because like it foresh- kind of is because it foreshadows what their plan is going to be. But no, because here's the reason why I argue against it being foreshadowing. What you're bringing to the table is your experience, like knowledge as a film viewing veteran. And I don't disagree with it, but what I'm asking for, what is the actual like literary narrative device of what that actually is supposed to be? Where you tell a story that's supposed to tell another story. Right. Uh, it's a, a metaphor. I was just say it's, analogy. It's an analogy. It's, just, it's, it's a, a metaphor wearing an analogy's hat. <laughs> Uh, that, that is a quote from Community, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I did not think that we would be quoting Community. You, you again, Mr. Quotable. Yeah. Or you go again, not my quote. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, uh, yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Um. Um, so, yeah, no, I don't quite foresee it as foreshadowing simply because, like, A, he didn't actually end up doing it, did he? I mean. Yes. What, like they went he, crazy and they yeah, just that they just ran crazy, out though. and yeah. they just ran out and and did what exactly they were never expecting they would do, which yeah. is pretty much just go out and full out just fight against them, which they just thought they were going to cower. Yeah, when emotion they do that, emerges but... from the fucking couch with a box cutter, I thought, oh my god, this is like some first but blood that, shit. I, I will say that entire story, I just I just was sitting there the entire time thinking, God, this is awful. Like this, is, yeah, this is the like, weakest part of the script. It's bad screenwriting. It, it was bad screenwriting. Was the weakest part of the script, and it was something that for for a filmmaker who's on his like third film, it seemed very much yeah, almost am- amateur. It wasn't the focus of the film, but it was still a vehicle that was used to try to to inject some type of like like thematic revelation in like the third act that would kind of like spur the 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 remaining characters to actually like go into action. But it it didn't have it it was so it was so naked in its conceit. That's another thing about the story that kept coming back that I really just couldn't care for because it 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 just seemed like something was going to come back in the finale, and it did. Yeah, and that is everyone giving their their band that they'd be trapped on a desert island with, and then we get no the, one gives a shit about that. Yeah, yeah. but that and I guess that was kind of the point of yeah. it Although at the very timely, end. considering yeah. Prince. Oh, that's true, and I yeah, that even got like a, a giggle from Tucson the theater. So yeah, I, I I remember um, reading or or glancing across a headline that was like Green Room's nod to Prince, and I and I totally forgot about it until well, it that wasn't a came nod up. because it, it he it like, wasn't deliberate. I was, was going to say it was, it's not it's not a nod if you if you don't do it on purpose like yeah. they just happened to say his name yeah. and it just happened to be it's, it's one of after those, he died it's one of those serendipitous like things that 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 given the the sadness of the situation of what what's recently occurred with him 
um, and some of the f- further revel- revelations of like how he actually passed. Like it's just it's something that you just hold on to, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So going to uh, final ratings about Green Room, I'm going to stick right where I was in the beginning, which was right down the middle at two and a half out of five. Okay. I- I liked quite a few things about this film, especially uh, the first half or so of it. I I was really on board with early on learning about this culture. Uh, with what's that? I, I was very interested in learning about this culture. Well, I, I was talking more about the punk rock group than yeah. about the, the Nazis. Okay. Yeah. Um, as, as we know, I, I know plenty about Nazis, as both of you have already said on oh, this episode. God. That's right. Fucking assholes. I didn't say that. Uh-huh. Got a lot of hate in you. <laughs> Pretty little hate machine. I've got two N's at the end of my last name, so... Oh, God. Neo-Nazi. <laughs> uh, so, um, I, but as, as the film wore on, I just could not stay interested, and I could not stay intrigued by the, by the storyline that was happening here, and I just felt like I either wanted this to be less plot-driven or more plot-driven, and it just kind of ended up in a weird place in between, and I I couldn't stay completely on board. Hmm. Performances were okay. I thought Anton Yelchin got a little annoying after a while. He is Um, And Patrick Stewart, I thought, was fine for his character. um, But he doesn't do anything extraordinary, right? No, but I didn't expect he was going to either. So Hmm. I was was fine with what he was, as he was just a guy who – who was kind of there playing this kind of creepy guy in the background, but didn't really have anything to bring to the table too, because I feel like that's just the way those characters are. Like they are just fronts for their cause or whatever. So overall, I just could not get that into green room. However, uh, it is a film that I will give another try to. And just as we talked about earlier today with the film, like the winter soldier, there's a good chance I'll like it more the second time through, but uh, two and a half out of five for me for Green Room as of now. Yeah, yeah. I was a I, I'm a fan of this movie. I mm-hmm. really, really liked it. It's right now sitting in my top ten, right at the very end of it. But uh, mm-hmm. that says a lot about how much I quite enjoyed it. Uh, definitely squanders some of what I some of the tension that I absolutely loved about it uh, with some of its decisions about pacing and plotting and just the overall structure of how this tension gets played out. Uh, But I I really liked a lot about it, whether it be the performances all across the board for me, um, uh, but with uh, Macon Blair in particular, I I really want to see what he's going to do next outside of a Jeremy Saulnier film because, uh, I mean, I'll be glad if he's in Jeremy Saulnier's next film because from Blue Ruin to this, like, it's clear that he can do a lot of different things because I was almost, it took me a good 10 minutes to realize it was him because he's just so good at playing a different person. Um, so I, I really like a lot about this. Uh, it, it, it says a lot that the flaws are are apparent enough that it kept me from liking a movie that's very tense while set in a one kind of dominant location mm-hmm. thing. Uh, but it's still, when it's on, it's really fucking on, and it, it's tense as hell, and uh, it's just good, good time. It's one of the best theater experiences I've had all year, so mm. I'll uh, I'll give Green Room three and a half out of five. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to echo um, a lot of Nick's sentiments. Like, I, echo, I, echo. Echo, echo. Um, I, I, I walked out of this this film just like yeah, ab- like absolutely. After the first ten minutes, you were going. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I, I was shaken by this film. I didn't know how to, how to really like like, uh, like 
take it at first. Like I really did enjoy it though. And it's like, I knew that I enjoyed it coming out of it, but I needed to like have time to be able to have my impressions, impressions kind of like percolate for, for a minute and just like parse out what it is that I really enjoyed about this film and why it affected me so much. Um, yeah, the, the, there, there's a lot of good things that are about this film. Like I thought that the setting, the color grading, um, (laughs) the tension, was was absolutely ramped up. I thought it was was incredible. It's like I thought it was very very much engrossing into that. Um, Darcy as a character, um, Patrick Stewart as an actor, like in, engaging with that character. I didn't really think that was really a pull for me, and that was kind of a disappointing like element. And I will admit, like I kind of touched on this before, like when we got out of the theater, I was literally asking Nick like what the sequence of events was and how it kind of like happened. It's not that I didn't watch the film. It's just that some of these revelations and some of these 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 things that were supposed to be like, oh, that's the song that they were supposed to play when they were supposed to murder Emily. And I'm just like, it totally flew by my head because they were fucking mumbling half the fucking time. I just couldn't stand that shit. Um, well, and a lot of conversation, especially with Patrick Stewart, because he has that moment when they're trapped in the green room and they're having a discussion between the wall. Mm-hmm. It, it is just straight up mumbled by the fact that he's not in the room, and it sounds yes. like he's not in the room. Yeah. And it's an English guy with a pronounced accent with talking a, through a wall. With a put-upon, like, American accent, and it's just like... This I, was, don't, I don't think he was trying to do an American accent. Maybe, this was the second, for me at least, the second hardest film to uh, understand the dialogue uh only second to The Witch so far this year. And uh, that's because they were speaking in fucking old-timey English. Yeah, The Witch, they were actually, like, on, you know, the scene and in front of the camera all the time. It's just they had the accents and whatnot. Here, they were half the time, like, yeah, across a wall through insulation and mumbling. Mm-hmm. Well, in this film, to its credit, actually, I think, never tries to make it seem clear. Like, it tries to make it feel authentic, which yeah. it does a good job at. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, the, the other appeal for authenticity where you see them reference the dead Kennedys. You see them like having all this type of like punk paraphernalia like all across the place. You see them just like – it's basically covering the entire spectrum that surrounds kind of like the subculture of music for both the good and the ambitious and the the horrifying and, and just, just the, the multiplicity of what actually like draws people to – like this sort of genre and like what it speaks to not only at the ain't rights, but also to the neo-Nazis as well and how they co-opted into like different ways. And I thought that was really interesting. And like that, the films, like the, the films, uh, deference to respect that culture while also using it as the context of this, of this drama thriller story. And it just like really made me want to respect going into it knowing that I did not know a lot about it, but I wanted to just kind of like not just take it at face, but be able to really like think about and like turn this sort of stuff around. Like, what does this thing mean in relation to that thing? Is like, why do the, the, the red laces do this? Like, why are, are, are the ain't rights even going to play Nazi punks fuck off or fuck off Nazi punks like in this place that they could very much get, get killed at? Because that seems like the, that's the epitome of punk. It's not giving a fuck. It's 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 just not giving a fuck. It's being brave enough not to give a fuck. So I'm going to give this a three and a half out of five. Nice. High yeah. praise from Tucson. Yeah. Well, that was our review of Green Room. If you uh, enjoyed that review or if you have any words about the film of your own, you can always send them on to filmtankshow at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at filmtankshow. Coming up on our next episode, Nick's excited because we're venturing right back into superheroes. Yay! 
Oh, boy. For actually, in terms of um, large releases, this is probably like top two or three this year, I would say. Yeah. It's right up there. And yeah. that is Captain America Civil War. Civil War. Civil War. Civil War. <laughs> Civil War. Suicide Squad and Rogue One, I think, are the big temples this year. Yeah. yeah. There's some other ones in there. But, yeah, this is probably the biggest. Just I'm just saying that because I know Rogue One is not necessarily, like, in the Star Wars complete storyline. It's somewhat, like, a almost like a spinoff. But this, uh, this is the big one coming out in May, mm-hmm. and we'll see how it does at the box office. Um yeah, I'm. I can't lie. I'm looking forward to it, and I, I'm. I'm excited to see it. I know why I'm excited for that that film because it's got Spider Man, it's got fucking T'Challa, Black Panther, and it's got the Vision in a dad sweater. I'm so fucking pumped for this movie. I'm just excited for the Vision. I honestly, I want to see his dad sweater. I just want. I want to see a Vision standalone film, even if it he doesn't have enough. And I just to want you two to be happy. Oh, thank you, Nick. Such a good friend. Yeah, try. Yeah, we'll see about Civil War. I've heard some good things so far, so I have high hopes, but I've heard good things about every other comic book movie ever. So Yeah. Um It broke box office records. Who gives a fuck? It doesn't matter anymore. Yep. You just said who gives a fuck because you were about to say who cares. Yeah, I'm sorry. Who cares? Who cares? It was adorable. We'll see how Civil War is and you'll find out on our next episode of Film Tank, which you'll be able to find along with all of our episodes at filmtankshow.com. Do I have to show or, up for that episode? Or on iTunes. Oh, yeah, you got to show Yeah, up. you should probably be here because okay. yeah. you're guess, here for pretty much every episode. Yeah, I guess I should go see it then. Or else I'm just going to like impersonate you. Ooh, or I'd Nick, like to hear that. Nick can just come here and talk about a completely unrelated superhero movie. There we go. That'll be that'll be fun. Yeah. yeah. Like we'll be and you'll be talking about like the Fantastic Four movie from last year that you saw. Oh, no, I'd be talking about the one with uh, Jessica Alba oh, okay. and Chris Evans. Yeah. The uh, the the original or the Silver Surfer one? Silver Surfer all the way. Come on. Of course. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, that will be uh, something to look forward to next week. We all will be seeing the movie, even Nick. <laughs> all right. So uh, thank you again for listening to this episode of Film Tank, and we'll catch up with you next time.